0: Well, you guys can be seated, and uh, why don't you take your Bibles and uh, go with me to the book of Exodus. Exodus. We are back in the book of Exodus, why don't you have a copy of God's Word in front of you, so if you don't have one, our ushers are coming around right now, you can just get their attention and they would love to give you one, or you can follow along with us on the Bible app, and we are going to be in Exodus chapter 18, and uh, I am fired up, I know uh, we, we took a little bit of a break, in fact we took a four month break from the book of Exodus, I kind of feel like that was enough, and uh, it's kind of time for us to uh, get back into this, and uh, just so you know, this is kind of the, the MO around here that we uh, dive into books of the Bible and just kind of work verse by verse and just work our way through. I think that's a really healthy discipline for us to do that, uh, because what that means is we don't get to uh, skip around and like avoid things that we don't really want to talk about, uh, but we let God's Word be the message, and that's what we need to hear. You don't need a message from a man. We need a message from God, and, and so thankful that He's uh, given us His Word, and so we we want to preach through the whole counsel of God's word. So we just kind of work our way, uh, book by book, verse by verse, working through this and allowing God to teach us what he wants. And uh, so uh, we took our break. Now it's time to settle back into uh, the book of Exodus for the second half. Now, I realized that it took us Uh, quite a while uh, to get to uh, the end of chapter 17 to pick up here in in chapter 18. I just want to encourage those of you who are looking ahead and you're like, oh my goodness, there's like 40 chapters and we're going to be in this forever. Uh, uh, Just just so you know, it's only going to take us about half the time uh, that it uh, to get through the rest of the book that it took us to get to this point, okay? And, and so we're going to, you're going to see the pace in some ways kind of quickens. And in fact, there's some weeks we're going to be uh, taking off some really big chunks. We're going to look at like four, five, six chapters in one Sunday, okay? Uh, we're going to get to the points of the law and building the tabernacle. And I mean, if you want, I can slow down and we can like really focus on all of those details. Otherwise, we'll probably uh, go pretty quickly through some of those sections. But uh, there's some pretty sweet stuff that's going to happen here uh, in the second half of Exodus. We've left Egypt behind, and uh, God is is leading his people out of slavery and into uh, a relationship, a covenant relationship with himself out in the wilderness. And the rest of the book, the rest of the book of Exodus, uh, uh, just so you know where this is happening, it's happening um, near or on or at the foot of Mount Sinai. All right? So let's just Get our bearings i 've got a map up here, uh, just so we know uh, where this is happening and and this is uh, what would we would consider the traditional route of uh, the exodus now we don 't know exactly where some of these locations are uh, to be honest, but just so we kind of have an idea of where we, where we 've come from, we left Egypt and came down here to uh, Mara in. Chapter fifteen. That's where the water was really bitter, and and they couldn't drink it. And so God made the water uh, sweet, so that they were able to drink that. And then they came down to Elim in chapter sixteen, and, and and this area down here in the wilderness. This is where God provided manna that bread from heaven, so that they would be able to eat something. And then we left them in chapter seventeen. Down here in Rephidim, all right? In, in Rephidim, this is where the Amalekites showed up and like all of a sudden like started attacking them. And uh, God rescued his uh, people. Joshua was fighting. You remember Aaron and Hur had to hold Moses' arms up and God gave them the victory. And so so, so here they are. They're down here close to and, and, and about to meet with God at Mount Sinai, and then you insert here, uh, chapter eighteen. There's this story about uh, Moses and his uh, father-in-law Jethro giving him some wisdom as he leads and as he serves God. Here's the thing: if you want to serve God, and I hope that's everybody. If if you serve the Lord, then I think that there's actually some things for you here uh, to learn as well, and. Um, we are this year, the thing that we're really trying to get after is pursuing the mission. And I think as we, as we start the new year, we, we dive back into this and we're, we're trying to continue to get after the mission that, that, that God has called us to and, and uh, making disciples and serving the Lord. And we want to be used of God. We want to be effective. We want to be fruitful in that. I think this text kind of gives us a little bit of a, a, a humility check. And gives us some wisdom for ministry. And and, uh, it's a pretty good reminder for us as we start the new year. So if you're taking notes, here's the big idea uh, of the text. What I want you to see here as we're trying to bring some application to what we're about to read, uh, you can note this. Make sure you're giving God the glory and that you're trusting in him and not yourself just want us as a church to make sure that as we're getting after this this year, as we're thinking about the mission that God has called us to, and as we're, we're serving the Lord, that we're making sure that our focus is, is, is vertical here, that we want him to get the glory. We're recognizing we're not dependent on ourselves. We're not trusting in us. We're trusting in him. All right. Let me show this to you. We've got a lot to read. We're going to read through all of chapter 18 uh, now and then kind of break down and and see what's happening here. So Exodus chapter 18, starting in verse 1, says this. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, After he had sent her home along with her two sons. And the name of the one son was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other was Eleazar, for he said, The God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. So Jethro, Moses' father in law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your, father, the, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and your two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake and all the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to them in in, in Israel in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know. That the Lord is greater than all gods. Because in this affair, he dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another. and I make them known, uh, know the statues of God and his laws. And Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out for the thing is too heavy for you. You're not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their case to God. And you shall warn them about the statues and the laws and make them known the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will, it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You'll be able to endure, and all of this people will also go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. Moses chose able men out of Israel, all of Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. And then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. So here's Moses serving God as the leader of God's people, and he's about to go up on Mount Sinai to receive the law, to receive um, the Ten Commandments, but I think uh, this story is, is, is not really here to make Moses look impressive as a leader, uh, as much as it's here highlighting, again, his limitations and reminding us who the real hero is, okay? So let me give you, as I think we see, and try to bring some application to this, I think Uh, There are two uh, pieces of wisdom for us as we serve the Lord in ministry. Here's the first one if you're taking notes. Note this. Give the glory to God because he's the one who deserves it. Okay, So we're making sure that we're giving God the glory here. He's the one that deserves all the praise. He gets all praise. The credit so, so Jethro's heard about all that God had done, news about what God had done in bringing Israel out of Egypt has reached um, his father-in-law, and so he comes out to Moses, and it says he's bringing Moses' wife and his sons, and, and, and to be honest with you, we don't really know why Moses had sent uh, his, his, his wife and kids back, and, and, and when that actually happened, it might have been like before they actually went to Egypt and he's just, just trying to keep them safe, or it might have been after they came and, and came out of the Red Sea when they walked through on dry land, and maybe he wanted to spread the nose. We, 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 we didn't really know, but, but, but this is going to serve as a reminder of what God has accomplished. And Moses, remember, Moses is the one who writes this down for us. He inserts his, his boys' names right here you got Gershom and Eliezer as, as a reminder that, that Moses, just like Israel, had been a sojourner in a foreign land, and, and that God had come to help them and deliver them. And so God has already done some incredible things for Israel, and so, so Jethro, who by the way is not Jewish, he's from a different nation, he's drawn to this, and he comes out to meet him in the wilderness. It's, there's kind of an interesting parallel here because we, we literally just saw some men from a different nation coming out to meet uh, Israel in the wilderness back in chapter 17. But back in chapter 17, the, the, the people from a different nation that were coming out to meet him that was the Amalekites. And when the Amalekites came out to meet them in the wilderness, they attacked them. But, but here we're seeing a little bit of a, 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 a kind of a, a peaceful reunion, if you will. In fact, they, uh, uh, Moses and his father-in-law asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent and had this little family powwow. And verse 8 tells us that Moses then told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to, to the Egyptians for Israel's sake and all the hardship and how the Lord had delivered them. So, Moses is giving his God at work story. What he's doing is he's sharing his testimony. It's like, like he's, he's just sharing what the Lord has done. And, and can you imagine what that moment would have been like if you were like sitting in the tent there with, with Jethro and, and, and Moses? And, and Moses, like, you're never going to believe all the things that God has done. Let me, let me just tell you what the Lord has done for us. It's kind of crazy. And he starts telling him about how he had gone and he'd stood before. Pharaoh, like the king of one of the most powerful nations on earth, and how, how God had brought ten plagues and, 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 and was bringing judgment on the nation of Israel, but Pharaoh was stubborn and he wouldn't let him go, and, and he remembers the Passover night, and and, and and how the, the the blood of that lamb had, had spared them, and God passed over them in judgment, and 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 finally Pharaoh was willing to let them go, and so he got the chance to lead Israel out. And, and but no sooner did they get away uh, than they turn around, and all of a sudden uh, Pharaoh's army is barreling down on top of them, and they look behind, and there's the Red Sea, and they're they're trapped, and there's nowhere to go. They're like what are we gonna do? And 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 God told him to take his staff, and God parted the waters, right, and they walked. Through on dry land and Pharaoh's army comes after him and he takes the water and, and takes out the greatest army in the world at the time and they're praising God. God's brought them out. And, and then no sooner did they get out into the wilderness but the people start grumbling because they don't have enough water and they don't have enough food and we should, we should go back and having bad attitudes and Moses is like, what are we going to do? And and God provides water for them, and God, He He provided manna and and uh, quail so that they could eat. And, and then while they're walking around, then they just suddenly got attacked by the Amalekites. And even there, God rescued them. And you, you just like picture Jethro like listening to this, like sitting on the edge of his seat, like like as, as Moses just keeps telling story after story about how God has miraculously delivered His people. And helped prove to them that they can really trust him. It's kind of a recap of where we've been. And, and I love Jethro's response, verse 9. It says that he rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done. And, and, he's, and he's praising God, verse 10. He says, blessed be the Lord. So, so he's drawn to worship. But look at verse 11. This is significant. Jethro says this. Now I know That the Lord is greater than all the gods. That was the theological point of the plagues and and God's deliverance of his people out of slavery. In fact, God had come down and told them before it all happened, before he actually rescued them, he told them ahead of time what was going to happen. And he told them the whole point of it was that he was going to make himself known he was going to make himself known both to israel and to egypt the egyptians were going to know too in fact i've got this for you on the screen i want you to see this is exodus chapter six this is before god's delivered them they're still down in slavery and they're they're, they're groaning and crying out to the lord and he tells them what he's about to do but here's the point uh, chapter six verse seven he says you shall know that i am the lord your god who has brought you out from under the burdens of the egyptians You're going to know me. And not only that, but then in chapter 7, I've got this one for you. Uh, Here's what he said. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. God was making himself known, not just to his people, but to the nations as well. And and so here in chapter 18 is Jethro, a a Midianite from a guy from a different nation who is recognizing the truth about israel 's God, and he actually gets the point Yahweh the Lord is greater there 's no God like this God and, and interestingly in, in in verse twelve, Jethro becomes the first person to offer uh, burnt offerings and sacrifices to God. I- even though that's, uh, this, is, this is what uh, Moses had told Pharaoh uh, what they were going to go do out in the wilderness. That, that, that was the reason that they had given for asking to leave in the first place. And Jethro becomes the first one, person to offer those burnt offerings and sacrifices to God since Israel's deliverance. So what that means is, someone from a different nation is led to worship the Lord through the testimony of God's people to what God has done. That's the way it works. That we share our testimony so that others would know. But I want you to notice that, that, that Jethro is praising God, not Moses. So, so it seems pretty clear that Moses is not telling his father-in-law all of it, what's happened so far so that he'll be impressed with Moses, although that really would have been a temptation, right? You, you think about it, uh, any of us, any of us who have ever had to talk to our wife's dad, no, this is a pretty big deal. This is a golden opportunity. You don't want to look like a doofus in front of your father-in-law, all right? And, and so if, if you have this moment where you can brag about some success story that makes you look good, I mean, come on, that's a no-brainer. But Moses is, you know, he's pointing Jethro, he's, he's telling this story trying to help and see the greatness of Yahweh. The greatness of the Lord. There's a powerful lesson for us here. God is the one who deserves the glory. Not us. He's the one who gets the praise. Listen, when God works, we want to tell other people about that. In fact, we're on a mission to tell people about what the Lord has done. We want to tell other people about what God is doing. And when God is working, we want to make that known. But we need to be really, really careful that we are pointing people to him, that we're making it all about him, and that we're not making some of the focus and putting the emphasis on ourselves. You ever notice that that even when you're sharing a testimony about what God has done, that our, our sinful pride is like crafty and lurking around just trying to share the spotlight a little bit. You know what I'm talking about? Peter Enns said it this way. There's a subtle difference between look what God has done in my life and look what God has done in my life. Between, look how God is moving here, and look how God is moving here. I think there's something for us here, church. God's doing some pretty sweet things. We're in a, in a fun season. And, and I love watching how God is at work at Fairfax Bible Church. And we praise God for that. We're thankful for that. It, it's a special thing to see God working in these ways. But I want our commitment to be that we make sure that we're giving God all the glory, not us. That, that, our, that our focus is vertical, that our, that our greatest concern is, is not uh, that, that people think that, that we're, you know, really cool or, or that our name is known in the community or that people think that we're better than other churches or that we're smarter or that we're wiser or we've, you know, got some things figured out that people think that we're something special. Something that the Lord's been kind of like pressing in on my heart, and and I hope that you can appreciate this. We're just ordinary. You okay with that? There's really nothing special about us. We're just ordinary people serving an extraordinary God. And, And so we want people to come and be a part of what God is doing in our church, and, 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 and I'm excited about that because we want people to experience him, but we got to just recognize this, that if anything good is happening, it's because he's working. It's not me, it's not you, it's not anybody else. We want to make sure that God gets the glory. He's the one who deserves it. I think this probably isn't just a, a challenge to us as a church family. This kind of gets personal it's great when, when God's doing something awesome in your life and, and it's pretty cool when, when God is using you in some pretty powerful ways and you want to praise God for that and, and, and uh, we, we, we can even ask that the Lord would use us in that but the bottom line is this who are you wanting people to notice the most Like, for just being honest okay I don't always like the answer to that question in my own heart like are you wanting people to see how much you've changed or how much you've grown or to hear your insights into what you've discovered as you are reading the bible or or, or recognize just you know, how, how wise and how authentic you are at small group, or, or uh, you hear about how you were being obedient, you were being a bold witness, and how God used you to uh, lead somebody to Christ, or, or how you went out of your way to give to the needy and help somebody out at, at, at Christmas, or, or how ambitious you are about your New Year's resolutions and all the things that you plan on accomplishing for God this year. Like, like, is, is the emphasis there? Are you okay with obscurity if it means that God gets all of the glory and that you make sure people know that it has nothing to do with you? Or, like, in our hearts, we just got to be careful here. And this is where I struggle. Like this, are we kind of hoping that you know, people will notice us too, right? They're going to they're gonna recognize we were a part of this. Want a little taste of the glory see what it tastes like. Um, I was thinking about it this week in my own life, and I have to admit, I'm, I'm pretty good, to my shame I say this, I'm pretty good at humble bragging about myself. And I wish it wasn't this way, but like my heart just kind of like longs for people to look up to me and respect me and notice. And but the reality is people don't need to think I'm great. People need to know how great our God is. God forgive me when I don't make it all about him. I'm excited for the year ahead. I, I'm, I'm really excited about what God is going to do. And I know that you're thinking about this year. I know you're thinking about where you're going and what you're going to do and things you want to change. And I think that resolve and commitment is great. And I'm thankful for that. But let me tell you, I think maybe even better, starting the year in a position of just recognizing our humility Maybe not confidence as much as dependence. (laughs) Like, Lord, God's been so good to us, and Lord, we need you. We want to make sure that our greatest desire is that he gets the glory that he deserves. Let me give you the second piece of wisdom for us as we serve the Lord in ministry. Note this. Second lesson we learn here. Give ministry away, because you can't do it alone. You've got to give ministry away because you can't do it alone, okay? So, so Moses, he's kind of a big deal. I mean, he's one of the main characters here. He's an important guy, a, a big-time leader. But I think this chapter, which, which remember, he's the one that wrote it and, and let us know that this was actually happening. I think this chapter is kind of embarrassing for him. Verse 13 says that the next day, Moses sat to judge the people. Now, that doesn't mean that he's, like, looking down on them and and, and criticizing them in some judgmental attitude and, like, pointing out their flaws. That literally means he's judging them. He's he's the judge because they couldn't always handle life together. you got to think, like, remember, there are thousands of the children of Israel, okay? You ever been on a road trip with kids? You know how this works? Mom! He's looking out my window. She started it. He's touching me. Like, it's just crazy. I mean, I have four in the backseat of a minivan. Just think about thousands in the backside of a wilderness. You got one guy who kicked another dude's, uh, you know, uh, sheep over here. Didn't mean to, but you got this woman over here. She stole her manna recipe, and... That kid was caught toilet paper in the other neighbor's tent over here. And you just got like all this craziness It's bound to happen when all these people are traveling together. And, and, and somebody has got to handle all the drama and all the fights and the disputes that are going to arise. How many of you have ever felt like uh, you, you've kind of like collapsed into bed at night and you felt like all I did all day long was walking around cleaning up my kids' messes and and refereeing fights. You ever feel like that? You know what I'm talking about? That's Moses right here. Because the text says that literally, he's standing there from morning till evening. He's going case by case, one after the next. It just keeps coming, and he's trying to decide what 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 should happen here. He's telling them what God says. And his father-in-law comes along, he's like, what in the world are you doing? He's like, well, I gotta, like, they need to know what God says, and so I'm having to kind of step in here and and be the judge here a little bit, and help them understand what God wants. and And, and verse 17, his father-in-law said, what you are doing is not good. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. If if this was me, and and I'm Moses in that situation, I'm feeling a little bit like, who do you think you are? Did you part the Red Sea? Did you stand before Pharaoh? I don't think so. So, like, I don't need you coming in here and telling me how to do my job. I would have felt like that. But apparently, uh, instead of being offended, instead of feeling disrespected, Moses kind of seems pretty humbled here. He actually listens, and, and it seems like this word is coming from the Lord. And Jethro says, I'm going to give you advice, and, and God will be with you. Verse 22, he says, if you do this, God will direct you. So I think God is in this. He says this isn't good. You guys you're going to wear yourselves out. This is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. It's too much for one guy. You can't do it alone. You can't handle it. Now now Jethro actually does affirm for us that Moses is the mediator. Uh, look at verse 19. He says, "You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God and you're going to warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do." And so he's setting us up for what's coming in the next chapter in chapter 19 when when Moses will be the mediator who goes up on Mount Sinai to receive the law from the Lord and and represent the people, but his advice here is you can't do it alone. But don't trust in yourself. You're not the hero, but go look for some God-fearing, you know, trustworthy men and, and, and break the people into some groups that are of some manageable size and, 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 and share the workload. Spread it out. Let them help you. Now, that makes some really good business and leadership sense. And, and, and I think that there are some lessons here for us to learn. I think there's some things that we could see, like, you know, um, receiving godly counsel and wisdom from others and uh, sharing the workload, not trying to do it all ourselves. I, I, I do think that that's there, but I think that there's more going on here than just the moral of the story is get some help and delegate. I think this is trying to show us something about Moses, his weakness, his weakness. That he grows tired and he can't do it alone. And the reason I think that is because this is the second time we've seen that. This is back-to-back stories now. What we just saw back in chapter 17, that's when the Amalekites came out to fight. You remember that? And and, and what what, what happened? Joshua's down in the valley. He's fighting and Moses is up there and he's got his arms, his staff up in the air. And when he's got his hands up, they're winning. When his hands go down, they start losing. So what do you got to do? Well, you got to keep your hands up, Moses. And so he's trying to keep his hands up, but what happens? He grows tired there too, and he can't do it alone. And so Aaron and Hur, he's got some buddies that come alongside of him and help him put his hands up because he's not able to do it. And so Moses' limitations as a leader are on display again, highlighting for us the need for another greater leader, another greater mediator who's to come. Moses is not the hero that we're looking for. I mean, he's a great dude, but Moses points us to God. And he's foreshadowing for us the leadership of Christ. Jesus is the great judge, the great Mediator, And he does not grow tired or weary. And unlike Moses, he doesn't have any weaknesses. He doesn't have any limitations. He is the one who leads us by the strength of the power of his hand. He, he's the one who shepherds us and he makes known to us the way we got to walk. He is the, the, the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. And Moses is just kind of pointing us to that. But this story of how Moses is giving ministry away, kind of parallels and reminds us of what Jesus is doing right now in his church. Think about this. He is the chief shepherd. He's the leader. He's the one. We can trust him. He doesn't need help. But he has entrusted leadership uh, responsibility to under shepherds. Now, let me show this to you. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5 kind of picks up on this idea of uh, Christ being our shepherd. And he says this, So I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. It's crazy that the Lord would give that ministry away. So, what that means is that, that the elders in our church are shepherding, leading Fairfax Bible Church under the leadership of Jesus. It's His church. But He's given that ministry, that responsibility away. Entrusted that to the elders. But, uh, let me show you, I want you to see Ephesians chapter 4, because I want you to see what we're called to do as uh, the leaders here. And, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. So, We're not called to do all the work. Our job is to equip you to help do the work. There's there's not one of us that can handle it all by ourselves, all all alone, okay? It's not like, don't worry about it. I got this. I'm I'm on it. Like, I'm not the hero, okay? We, we, We give ministry away because we can't do it alone. That's, this is God's wisdom. This is his design. God's wisdom in ministry is that the body of Christ serves together. We are all called to serve and to work for Christ together to build up the body of Christ. What that means for us then is you start thinking practically, we, we share the workload around here. And we've said it this way, we're never going to apologize for asking you to volunteer and to serve on a ministry team and in your small group. Because one, it helps you grow as a disciple. And two, this is God's design. This is how Jesus is leading us right now. So it means that you get to be a part of this and help share the workload of of the ministry of what we're trying to do as we serve the Lord. So very practically what that means is we need some help. Uh, We're a church plant. You realize we don't have our own facility. We've got all sorts of needs around here. And we need help uh, in our setup team. We need another trailer driver. We, we, we need help in our kids' ministry. We need our, uh, people helping a guest experience and greeting people. And we need people on the worship team. We need somebody who knows how to play guitar. And, and, and we need people on our production team. Like we, have, we have all these needs. And if you're sitting there like, okay, like I, like I'd love to serve. I just don't know where. You can go on our Next Steps page and hit the Start Serving button. And there it is. You're, you're having some options. You'll see some of the things that we need. The whole point is this. Plug in and, 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 and start serving. Just jump right in. I want you to know this, that God has gifted you and you have a ministry. And what we're doing together, let's be really clear on this. What we're doing as we serve the Lord is we're making disciples. And if we're going to be making disciples, then we've got to care for one another. We've got to help each other grow spiritually. We've got to help each other follow Jesus. And that means that that, that most of the ministry should not be done by just a few people. And so the way we've tried to spread this out and make sure that we're all sharing this load of caring for one another and serving the body of Christ and helping the body of Christ grow together is we plug you into small groups. This is why we get together in, in small groups of people so that we can do this together. I think it's going to become pretty obvious that the bigger that we get as a church the more pronounced the need is to be able to jump in and plug into a small group so you can start serving the people that are there because you need that. You need people that are going to care for you that love you that know what's going on that that are there to help you and and help you grow. But, but it's not just for you and the benefit that you're going to have. Like, that's going to be great. You're going to have a church family that loves you. You're going to have people around you that, that really care about you and, and, and want to help you become a disciple and be effective at making disciples yourself. But, but you can go with others in mind. And I've been praying as we're getting ready in this new year, as we're multiplying small groups, we're serious about making disciples and excited about what this new season is. We're praising God for the amount of people that we have in these small groups. We want more people to have these kind of relationships. And I'm praying that you uh, will have a a willingness, maybe to be inconvenienced a little bit, but to have a commitment and to be intentional about pursuing these relationships and, and serving and loving and caring for your brothers and sisters in your small groups. We're sharing the workload, okay? What we don't need is is lone rangers that are out there trying to do it all by themselves and acting like the heroes. What we need are, are believers in Christ that recognize we can't do this. We need him. And in humility and dependence, we're also recognizing the design and the capacity of the whole church and we're... Giving ministry away so that others can serve too. That's how we multiply. So I want you to notice verse 24. Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law. So he starts uh, delegating the responsibility. And he puts an organizational structure in place that's going to prepare him to administer God's law and commandments. But while it probably helped keep Moses from burning out, it ultimately failed to help the people follow God. It didn't work. It's kind of the story of the whole Old Testament. Just uh, having more judges that are deciding cases and making known God's statutes and laws, that's great for Moses, but it wasn't enough. The people actually needed God's law spelled out for them, and and, and that's what we're going to see as we see Moses going up on Mount Sinai. He's going to receive the law. He's going to receive the commandments from God. But even that, wasn't enough. Even though God gave them the law and made it really clear what he wanted them to do, didn't mean that they were going to follow it. Because this is where we see the gospel on display. God wants his people to follow him, but he has to do a work in their hearts so that they will want to follow him, so that they will really love him. God's got to do that work and give them a new heart, and that's what he's doing today, right now. So we're getting after the mission this year, and we're praying that the Lord would help us to make disciples of all nations. And we, we believe that, that that's going to give glory to God. Jesus told us, go make disciples, baptizing them, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And so we're going to get after that, we're trying to share the workload, we're spreading it out, we've got our small groups, we want people to help, we're, we're mutual ministry, Where we're making disciples together, none of us can do this alone. But if the real heart work is going to happen, who's the one who does that? Is We have to remember that God's the one that's going to have to work in us, he says, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so as we're serving and as we're uh, trying to do this together and make disciples, we're just trusting, not in ourselves, but in what Christ is going to do. And as we see God doing this, this is the kind of growth that we're looking for. And it becomes very obvious, he's the one who did it. And he's the one who deserves the glory. Amen? Father, I pray that you would help us as we're getting after this mission that you've given us. I thank you that you would even uh, stoop to use us. You don't need us. You don't grow tired or weary. You are not limited You are the great mediator. You're the great judge. You're the one who has made known your character and your ways and and how you want us to live. But even though you are the king, you are the shepherd we need, you are the leader that we look to, the fact that you would entrust leadership responsibility to us And you've designed the body of Christ to work together so that as we're using our giftedness, we're helping the body grow. Only you could design that. And Lord, I pray that this year as we're thinking about where we're at and the relationships that we have and wanting to serve you, Lord, that we just have a commitment to building up this church And and as we're breaking that up into small groups, I pray that we would care about those people. And we'd be intentional about building those relationships. Even if they're people that maybe they don't, maybe they're not in the same stage of life that we are. Maybe they're not the kind of people that we would have chosen to hang out with and try to be friends with. But we realize these are brothers and sisters in Jesus. And you've brought us together. And you've given us an opportunity and the responsibility to serve one another. And spread this ministry out so that the body is growing so that you get the glory in all of it. And God, as we start this year, I pray that we would really start in a position of humility and dependence and recognize how much we need you. And I pray that our church really grows. And not just growing numerically so that we can pat ourselves on the back and feel better about ourselves. But Lord, we want to grow in ways that is evident that the Spirit of God is at work. So that we're careful to make sure that we're really clear. It's not us. We didn't do it. You did it. You're building your church. You deserve the glory for it. Thank you for these promises. We're trusting in them. It's in Jesus' name I pray.